Alchemy Podcast. I'm Eric Hawthorne. And I'm Jane Banks. And uh, today we're going to talk about one of our favorite films. Uh, it is a 2007 film by Paul Thomas Anderson, and it is this little film called There Will Be Blood. Jam. Yeah, probably our greatest film of all time. Like, literally, we, we first of all, we probably watch, between us, at least once a month. One of us is watching this movie and bringing it up. So it's it's a weird movie that we both have latched on to because there's so many inside jokes between me and you that surround this movie that normal people wouldn't get because black people really don't watch this kind of movie. Like, There Will Be Blood is kind of a shot out of left field for most black people to sit down and actually watch. Uh, of course, the great Daniel Day-Lewis, I think the greatest actor of all time. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, what is, what it, some films people might be familiar with with the great Daniel Day, Danny um, D, as I call him? My Left Foot, The Crucible, Last of the Mohicans. Uh, if we're bringing it up to speed, then we'll say Gangs of New York, Gangs of New early two thousands. What has he been in recently? Oh, Lincoln. Uh, he was in that movie, The Phantom Threat, which I did not catch. But uh, he was in Lincoln. Yeah, just these incredible roles. Like I, as, as soon as you start throwing out names, I'm like, oh yeah, that was. Oh yeah, I can't believe I forgot my left foot. Yeah, just he is is the definition of a method actor. He completely submerges himself in a role. But this is the correct version of a method actor. Uh, yeah, the, in its purest form, yeah, nothing, <laughs> not crazy. Nothing crazy. The only two method actors that I would probably just get props to is he him and Heath Ledger probably the only two I'd say Gary Oldman also oh Gary Oldman excellent yeah excellent uh, choice right there I didn't even think because I forget he's certain roles also because he's so enthralled in that role and I'm like that's not Gary Oldman yeah and, and another thing about Gary Oldman I know we're off on a small tangent here but did you that's know, what the people come here for <laughs> but did you know that he actually had to be retrained in his British accent after doing The Dark Knight. Wow. Because he had actually forgotten how to speak in his native uh, accent. That's crazy. I believe it, though, because he's so good. Like, it's so... I forget Gary Oldman's English. Yeah, he... You very rarely see him play... An English role. An English role. He's always some crazy villain. Yeah, well, not anymore. American... Not anymore so much. I mean, the first thing I ever saw him in was, uh, and I didn't realize this until years later, was uh, Fifth Element as Zorg. Fifth Element, uh, The Professional, Dark Knight. Oh, you're right. Leon The Professional. Oh, my gosh. You're right. I completely forgot about that, too. Yeah, he played a really good villain. Creepy film for nowadays. Oh, very problematic. The the time we live in, but he did play a good antagonist in the film. Super great antagonist. But uh, let's get back on track. Back on the rails. Uh, There Will Be Blood. Now, There Will Be Blood was a film that John Michael had originally, you know, recommended to me, and I didn't know what this film was about. Um, You know, I thought it was a vampire film (laughs) or something, just from the title. And then a young lady that was uh, somebody that I was introduced said, you need to watch there will be blood. And I said, okay, what is the film about? And she really wouldn't go into too much. She just said, you know, it's about a man driven for wealth and power. And that's how she just kind of left it. And I talked to John Michael a little bit more about it. And he said, just watch the movie, just watch the movie. So I actually red boxed the movie when that was a thing. Mm -hmm. And um, I was pleasantly surprised. And I think what captivated me the most about the film was the first 15 to 20 minutes of just pure silence. Yeah, no dialogue. No dialogue, which was a very bold choice. Now, this is one of the 
films in which the opening completely entraps me. And I think the only other film to do that was uh, Inglorious Bastards by uh, Quentin Tarantino. But the fact that there is a juxtaposition about that with Inglorious Bastards being so dialogue heavy and focused and this just purely uh, being something where you're looking at the actions of the character, what he's doing, and you're trying to make sense of it. Yeah, and it's a really good... Before we get into the actual plot and setup, let's just... uh, This is a drama in its purest form. Like, it is... There's very little humor in this movie. There's very... Like, it's a... It almost looks like you're you're, uh, watching, like, a... a, Someone's life play out, because it's so cut and dry with the story. But it is a very hard and hard-nosed drama. And, yeah, it's very small cast also. Uh, besides Daniel Day-Lewis, you have Paul Dano. Uh, Who plays two characters. Yeah, he plays two characters. Uh, and it is... It, I really didn't appreciate his two performances until I got much older. It was just like, yeah. once you break down these characters and, and just evaluate their actions and, and, and their characters, it's, it's a whole different layer in the story. And that's one of the things I really love about the story is after all these years, we're still breaking it down. And we're still finding new things under the layers that we can see in our older age. And we start to relate to characters differently as we get older yeah i think when i watched it when i was younger i think i was like 25 ish 26 when i first watched the film i think at that time i was just enamored by his quest for wealth but the thing that i did not appreciate was the journey the struggle that he had to endure to get there, what he had to put together, because he essentially had to put his life together and make it up in order to really succeed with people uh, because he had to make himself more personable. So that's why he has a son in air quotes. Uh, yeah, he has a award companion. <laughs> Uh, I mean, when you think about it, that kid, because he has a HW, his, his, uh, pretty much starts off as his son. Uh, let's, let's go back first. The yeah. opening scene, I want to talk about that too, because you're right. It's a great establishing shot and it's a great allegory for just anybody setting out to do anything, uh, build anything of their own. Like, I felt this allegory so deeply when I started this podcast because I felt what that shit meant. Like, you're digging in the ground. Like, you're literally, first you got to dig this deep ass hole and then you got to mine the hole and try to find these little bit bits of precious mineral that you can cash in for money and boy does that shit hit hard after you've been digging in that hole like right my story is just now starting like after two years i feel like i'm just now crawling out the hole with my broken leg able to go ahead and sell my shit and become important right and i i think i asked you this maybe about a month ago i said do you think in the desert you could crawl back to civilization and I mean, what what did he he must have had? He had obviously some silver or whatever. On so him. yeah, just set it up. He is a miner in this establishing shot. You find out he is a prospector, right? And he is silver mining, which it, it it's different than gold mining because you're not sifting it through a river or anything, and you're not a, you're actually in the ground. Like he's dug this 18 foot hole in the ground. Just him, no crew, no nothing, just him by himself. And he finally finds the silver. And then uh, I forget what happens. Something breaks and falls. Yeah, something breaks, falls, uh, damaging his leg, uh, which such attention to detail because he walks with a gimp the rest of the entire movie. But that's just a side note. So he breaks his leg, crawls and 
uses his strength to pull himself out. So just imagine you've been digging all day. It's the early 20th century. Well, hold up. It might have been. No. Okay. 1898. So late 19th century, late 19th century. So you're not exactly fed a 5,000 calorie meal a day. So this man has to pull himself out. And then in the sweltering heat of New Mexico, drag himself to whatever the closest town is, which is obviously miles and miles away Mm. on his back. And then once he's there, I think is a really good shot where he's laying on the ground, foot propped up, and somebody is counting the silver and, you know, basically cutting him a check, you know. And he's watching the whole thing. And he's watching the whole thing. <laughs> like I think, I, I, he's got his hands behind his head. I think he's smoking a pipe or a cigarette or something like that. Mind you, he should be in the hospital. <laughs> he should be in the ba- hospital. Back in that day, that's the kind of shit you'd lose a leg. Like, you might... Right fuck around and lose your life due to gangrene or something but yeah and when you asked me that question a couple weeks ago it really made me think and look at that movie and just look at like i was telling you about you building something if you finally hit that payload in the ground you might yes you will crawl and drag yourself to civilization if you have something to live for like he did he finally hit that big lick and got that silver deposit he's been looking for now if he didn't have shit to live for he might have just died just like uh, Hugh Glass and um, The Revenant. Like, if he didn't have to go on this hunt for revenge, he might have just died. He might have just given up. But because you have that that reason to live, you're like, yo, I'm going to crawl. I'm, it's going to be painful, but I'm going to make it through because I got something to look forward to. Right, right. And, um, I just, you know, I just thought that was interesting. Um, what would a man do in order to survive? But what would a man do in order to see his dream fulfilled yeah uh but we want to fast forward just a little bit because it's pertinent to the story so uh, a few years later four years later i guess in 1902 he establishes an oil drilling company and this is really where the movie i i would say gets its start you know He transitions from mining for gold and silver to drilling for gold. It's still, once you take a look, he's still digging in the earth. He's still, you know, from the salt of the earth, man. Right, right. And there's still not much dialogue here. There's no dialogue, really, in in this part either. And so, basically, he's drilling. They're down there, and you know, in the thick of the things. And then, ultimately... Um, a pipe of some sort breaks, kills a worker. And once the worker is dead, the worker has a child. They're with them. Obviously, there's no mother. Uh, Daniel Day's character looks at the child, doesn't really know what to do with them. I think he gives them some Hennessy, not Hennessy, but some some sort whiskey of rum or something. Yeah. Rum or whiskey or something in his baby bottle, puts him asleep, calms him down, and he essentially adopts him, takes him in as a, as his ward or son, really. I mean, because there's no kind of uh, explanation to the child that, oh, you know, your father was actually a work, one of my workers, and I took it, I took you in as my, my adopted child. So he grows up thinking that he's his child. Uh, and, you know, then basically he kind of has a story where he's self-made, as a child, and he's able to present himself to townships. Where have I heard this story before? <laughs> <laughs> I have a son. Yeah. 
inside joke. He's talking about me. <laughs> but basically, he's able to be more presentable. He's he, with with H W as his child. He's able to be more likable, more relatable. So after that, he starts going around to towns and uh, small cities and saying, "Well, I would say towns at this time." Mm. Going around to small towns and saying, "Hey." This is my company. This is what we do. You know, this is my son as well as my business partner. And what we want to bring to your town is X, Y, and Z. And basically what the X, Y, and Z is the promise of, you know, jobs, you know, traffic. Education. Education. uh, Build them. Pretty much the American dream. Yeah, the American dream because they actually have to set up shop in these towns for a period of time to drill the oil and bring that you know, up to the surface. So, you know, it's an interesting, it's a better proposition. It's an interesting proposition for the town and, but it makes it more palatable with a child. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and I think something uh, that the filmmakers did really well in that first 10 minute opening of just, like you said, all just no dialogue is it really sets him up as kind of a cold character, like very, he doesn't smile. He doesn't, you know, have very emotion. Even when he's like caring for this baby, it's just very stonewall. And just like you you see, like now I got to deal with this baby, but yeah, it sets him up as kind of a, just kind of methodical, cold hearted guy. And that carries through to the movies. Like this guy is a uh, sociopath, like a psychopath, excuse me. Well, I don't know. You want to call him a sociopath, Path or psychopath? He's a psychopath. He is a lot of business. A lot of people in capitalism are psychopaths. A lot of uh, CEOs, a lot of masters of industry are psychopaths because they can do business at that level without a conscience and be, be successful because we're not Daniel Plainview. As much as we aspire to be one day and just live on an island, don't have to be worried, we still have some sort of ethics or moral compass or we won't disown our children if they say they're going to do the same things we do. Like, But certain people in that field are legit psychopaths who just don't have any kind of uh, empathy or detachment or anything. Like, they could screw people out of money or make them think they're taking a good deal knowing they're going to, you know, make five thousand dollars you're gonna make a hundred thousand dollars like people can do that they don't care about fairness they don't care about uh morals uh but yeah daniel plainview is definitely a psychopath when you when you put him up against you know the mental uh requirements for that mental disorder but yeah he, he he's just somebody who doesn't like people he doesn't understand people just like uh fucking lou from nightcrawler he doesn't right. understand or like people he puts up with people to get his own means right. or to get to his own game and get what's going to get him what he wants but yeah he's exactly the same way he doesn't care for people he doesn't like people he doesn't want to talk to people but when he does have to talk to people he knows how to put that mask on you know what i like that explanation daniel day lewis now that i think he's playing two roles He's playing the Daniel Plainview that everybody sees and then the psychopath behind the scenes. Okay, and duality could be a theme of this movie as we'll go into now. <laughs> Paul uh, Dano. <laughs> uh, Paul Dano. Uh, okay, so basically, a small time jump to 1911. Uh, Mr. Plainview is approached by someone named Paul Sunday who uh, tells him about oil reserves underneath his family's property in uh, California. And of course, Daniel's intrigued because he wants the oil to generate profit for his company. So he's like, okay, well, I will go there and, you know, you know, I'll check it out, et cetera, et cetera. So he goes there, he finds out that there is in fact oil there and he's intrigued. 
So then, you know, of course, he's paying. He pays Paul the money that he agreed to, et cetera, et cetera. The problem is Paul is, you know, I, I what would you describe Paul? The brief time we get with Paul, would you say that he is? He seems I, passive, docile. Pass, passive and docile, but he has the foresight. I would say he has the foresight to know that, you know, there's a pretty good business opportunity here. Okay. Even though he does have that passive passivity in that docileness. Uh, Juxtapose that with Eli, who has the vibrato and he has the showmanship, but he sucks at. Yes, he's just he's not a good businessman, (laughs) but he Eli is a confidence man. Or a con man. Um, con artist. Con artist. He's art. an artist. Yes. Uh, but basically, you know, when Daniel goes here and he's like, you know, I'd like to, you know, drill on this land to the Sunday family and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Eli is the one that really only objects. Yeah, it makes things much harder than it has to for Daniel. Yes, and and he become he soon becomes a thorn in his side. That's exactly what I was about to. He eat. becomes a thorn in his side, and then this really is what sets off a chain of events. Absolutely, um, and because these guys are the best enemies I've seen in movies. Like when you think of legit enemies, like Tove, like Tick for Tat. Yeah, this is what I like about this movie. I I like that there's not a villain. I like that there are antagonists. Absolutely, great point. Yeah, I like antagonists better than villains. Like the Dark Knight, the Joker, he's really not a villain. He's more so an antagonist. When we're talking about Peaky Blinders, uh, the uh, Killian Murphy's character, Tommy Shelby, as opposed to um, what's his name, Mosley, yeah. Oswald Mosley, real person too. Yes. That's an antagonist. He's not a villain. Yeah. And, and, and I like that. That's a, that's a very good delineation and distinction in these type of shows and movies and whatnot. Because it gives you a reason not necessarily to sympathize or empathize, but you can understand where yeah. the other person is coming from, where their motives aren't just purely based on evil. Right. Or nef- I want one million dollars. Right. That gets so old. I mean, Daniel's really the one who wants the money. He want, No, they all have, they want money for a specific end. Daniel wants money so he can buy an island. So he can just go away from everybody. Right. And I get that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a hermit. I'm an isolationist as well. So I really understand that, that feeling of just wanting to escape. But in uh, Eli, he's a religious, religious zealot. So he wants the money so he can build a church because he has the gift of being a uh, con artist, like you said. But he's that kind of uh, prosperity gospel, the early stages of the prosperity gospel. And he would have been, you know, not a religious leader. He would have just been a con man on a huge, a bigger scale. So in all actuality, you don't have any reason to root for either of the characters because it's not like they're doing this for any kind of virtuous reason. They're just doing this for their own gains. But it comes down to which one do you have more respect for as a person? And, you know, Daniel does horrible things in this movie and Eli does horrible things. But I think at the end of the day, you can respect Daniel for being more of an honest person about him. Shortly after this happens, you know, you start to see a church erect out there in Little Boston, California, that Eli uh, requests be built. But one of the good scenes that I like is when, well, one of the memorable scenes that I like is when Eli 
asks of Daniel, I would like to, for the dedication, I want to give a prayer and I want to basically bless uh, this operation. And so Daniel, seeing through Eli, knowing that he is a con man, that he's a front runner and a showboater, you know, he brings Eli in when it's time to do the dedication. Daniel quickly does it and, you know, moves on. And Eli's there prepared to, you know, get people to basically this is a way for Eli to get more people to come to the church. Yeah. And he he specifically because Daniel understands what a power play is. Right. And he specifically brings Eli's little sister up with him. To say, like, no, 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 no. Like, the, the Sunday family would be represented by this child before it's represented by you. Like, it's, 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 if anyone who ever, who has ever read the 48 Laws of Power is just checking off dot for dot during this movie because it's just a mo- power play after power play. And that's what I say about these two being actual enemies because at no point is it seem like Daniel just has all the cards in his hand. At no point does it seem like uh, Eli has all the all the cards in his hand. It's just a point where it's just like these guys are going tit for tat. And it's, it's, it's petty and then it gets super serious because other people's lives are involved in it. But it's such a great way of bringing up because like we were talking about, Daniel comes to towns and he promises prosperity in the American dream. And he kind of uses that to prey on people's uh, hopes and dreams and aspirations while simultaneously preying on their greed. Because these people are like, okay, they're going to give me a, a chunk of money. As opposed to if you would take a little bit more time, you could probably reap more benefits and get more money along the span of time. But Daniel's going to show up. He's going to show you more money than you've ever seen. And he's going to make you take that deal. But I would say this, though, you know, even though that Daniel has one form of prosperity, Eli has one form of prosperity. One is tangible. <laughs> Daniel gives says, I'm going to give you the money. I'm going to bring education. I'm going to bring, bring traffic. I'm going to bring jobs here, et cetera, et cetera. Eli is just giving you hope. And you're, he can exercise demons, though. That's a okay, valuable but, but tool. Then, but, he whispers in the hands. Doesn't yell. He put a little whisper. <laughs> and then he tells that demon to get out of here. And he bit that demon. And he hit that demon. Do you want to go ahead and skip to that scene already? Uh, let's see. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I feel like we have established, like, pretty much that whole first quarter after we've established Daniel and Paul in the Sunday Ranch. It's just kind of seeing who's going to get the upper hand between these two characters so we can get to him being a just real quick be, between this time there is an act a small accident well i wouldn't say a small accident actually a big accident like a gas uh explosion okay, yeah, and yeah, then hw his son is actually uh injured in, in this explosion which he is permanently uh deafened and so now he has a permanent disability yeah. and you know of course daniel does not know how to deal with this um you know and guys if you own an oil company please don't let your small children play around the rig it's not safe and I think in between this time as well, a mysterious guy comes in claiming to be Daniel's brother. And that's basically all you need to know in between this time, because by the time we get to the scene in which we're talking about, the church scene, which is an, also an excellent scene, um, Daniel has sent his son to basically live, be taught and educated. In a boarding school. Yeah, in a boarding school elsewhere in a uh, 
another part of town, another state. Or because his son's no longer, uh, he can't use him anymore. He can't, yeah. he's, he's no good as he's just not a cute kid who could say cute things anymore. He's just a deaf kid. He would have to spend extra time dealing with. Yeah. If you see the countenance on HW, all he does is stare straight. Great acting by that kid, by the way. Yeah. Excellent. acting. Super depressing. It is super depressing. He just stares straight. And that's, of course, it, he doesn't understand what's going on because he can't hear anymore. If I can bring up the scene with um, where, where, where he's on the train and Daniel's pretty much abandoning him on the train. And he's just like, he, they're both sitting on the train and he pretty much tells him to stay there. He'll be right back. And then you see Daniel like uh, in the window getting in a car and then it occurs to him I'm getting left. And it's just this heartbreaking scene where he's like trying to get off the train. Yeah, and then he like puts his hat down and everything. Yeah. So you can tell there is some shame that Daniel does have some sort of feelings for HW, but the feelings don't ex- really extend beyond a business relationship. I, I think he cares for him, but you know, I mean, he was pretty much his only friend. Yeah, his only. He friend. was his business partner, his son, his companion, his friend, anything that you would need. And I think that's why he was so ready to take this fake brother in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, uh, but yeah, at the at the scene where we were talking about with Eli and the church, he's already had this church erected, pretty nice church, pretty big big church for a small town. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, now you have this actual town with schools and all the necessities you would need institutions to make a, you know, actual thriving town. And Eli is is drinking his own Kool-Aid. Like he's believing he's a miracle worker. He's believing he has special powers and he's getting the people, the residents to pretty much leverage their land so he can have power against Daniel. Right. And it it just is, it's, I love that point where it's like, he starts to accumulate power and Daniel's like, fuck, now I have to actually deal with this crazy nutcase. Right. And I think at this time, uh, how we talked about the mysterious gentleman claiming to be, uh, Daniel's long lost brother, essentially, you know, he, he uses this guy to replace HW. Um, you know, he starts confiding in him, et cetera, et cetera. But then, you know, it just so happens upon him that he's like, this isn't my brother. Well, let's break down that scene. That's a very okay. important scene because yeah. you see uh, first, the first important indication of that scene is Daniel explains to his brother, just kind of see if there was the same kind of feelings biologically that he might not be crazy. He was just telling him like, I don't like people. Like I cannot stand people. I have to deal with them mm-hmm. through business, but the business is just so I can get enough money to leave and never have to deal with people again. And you get the idea, like, this guy's not a people person. Like, he's beyond not a people person. And he doesn't care for people altogether. And then the next scenes, you see how much fucking Henry is annoying. Mm-hmm. And he is just like everybody else. Like, he's just some person who's there for money, and has, wants to have a good time, doesn't have any plan, doesn't have any structure in his life. Like, Daniel has to work for everything he has. He's had to grind, and he's had to build this empire. And you just see this fucking guy asking for more money and, you know, whoring and drinking. And Daniel kind of sees, like, this guy isn't anything like me. And then he starts doing, you know, snooping through his things and finding things. And he had said a, a statement about like something in regards to their hometown. Yes. So it's about the Peachtree Dance. Yeah, Peachtree. Take them down to the Peachtree. Get a couple girls liquored up and take them to the Peachtree Dance. And right. he didn't react 
as if somebody who was from that part of town, it'd be like if I was like, yo, we got to go, uh, we got to go pick up some go chicken go. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you didn't mention G sauce or something. Right. Or no just, gizzards. Yeah. And it's just like, hmm, that's odd. Like that would really, you know, like if you live in St. Louis and it's like, yo, I would like some uh, Chinese food. And you're like, hold on. Why do you call them Chinamen or like certain things in certain areas just pop, make your ears perk up. So they have that kind of realization. He's like, fuck, this is not my, he pretty much got played. Well, you know, and then he confronts him in the middle of the night while his brother is a Henry. Yeah. Henry. Okay. Henry is, you know, sleeping. He puts a revolver to the side of his face and he's hell of a way to wake up. Right. And he asks him, you know, a question. He couldn't respond correctly. And so he basically says, how did you find me? How do you know about me? And he basically says that, you know, you did have a real brother, you know, but he died of tuberculosis. And I basically took on his identity. And this infuriates Daniel. Yeah, Daniel. I I don't know. Daniel Day playing you. (laughs) (laughs) That confused me for a second. And he, this infuriates Daniel and he shoots him. Mm. Digs a shallow grave, goes back to sleep. And Very then, lazy grave. <laughs> <laughs> but then he was seen in the distance overnight, which I don't, I don't, I don't even know how this is possible. But for for reasons, he his crime is witnessed, and the person who sees him is like old man Bandy, right? Who he who who he actually needs the Bandy tracked the the land. From. Who's been ignoring the yes. whole first half of the movie? He's like, hey, this guy, the bandy guy, wants you to come down and talk to him. He's like, no, we have enough. And then he needs this tract of land. And then finally, it's like, all right, I got to go talk to this old guy who's one of Eli's fucking children, disciples. Right. And so basically, Bandy is like, you need to go repent. Yeah, seeing what you did. He's like, and so Daniel, half drunk, is like, okay. All right. And so he he acquiesces and he goes to the church. And this is the time in which he faces public humiliation, basically, by the hands of Eli, who is, you know, this ordained prophet and highly respected uh, preacher in the community. At this Messiah. Point. Yeah, basically. He's basically Kenneth Copeland, Joel Osteen yeah. combined. Super televangelist. Yeah, if there were. I mean, he even talks about being on the radio, so he was pre televangelist. Right, right. Uh, But no, but it really is a good scene. All seriousness, it is a good scene. Basically, Daniel gets called from the pews. Uh, Eli asks, Is there anybody who has sinned and do they want to repent? So Daniel comes up, says, I've sinned. But that's not enough. Very casually. He very thinks ca- this is going to be a very, very casual encounter. No, but Eli wants him to specifically say what he has sinned, how he has sinned, and that he should repent. Power play. Yeah. Before we get here, we, we, we forgot to mention that the deal that was struck between Eli and Daniel, he was supposed to get $5,000 and it, he, pr- he pretty much didn't get this money. Uh, that Daniel had told him he was going to give him, and Daniel beat the shit out of him and 
pushed his face in mud. Like before going, that, that's very important to talk about because Eli already has been simmering over this instance. He's been screwed out of this money. He's been embarrassed. He's been, you know, pretty much manhandled. He got bitch slapped around by Daniel in front of everybody. And so he's just been biding his time. And now he has this zealot, Bandy, who has something that Daniel needs. And he's going to use this situation to humiliate Daniel to the utmost degree. But yeah, you can go back into it. Basically, uh, while he's, he's at the church and needs to repent, Eli humiliates him. And he tells him that he needs to confess for his many sins. Uh, particularly, the greatest sin is abandoning his son. He wants the people of Little Boston to know that he has abandoned his child. Not a hero, because to the people, he brought schools, he's brought right. prosperity. They even, Eli even says that. Like, you've brought prosperity, you've brought money, but you've also brought your bad ways, your gambling, your backsliding. And, uh, yeah, he, he pretty much calls him out for, I mean, I think that's probably the most painful thing for Daniels to have someone take that mask off right. and have the public look at him like you're a bad person and him having to admit, I mean, all of us really, if we were put in that position to be like, all right, tell us all what you're ashamed of. And now tell me you're in doing this in front of the person you despise the most and having to admit your innermost, you know, shame. Right. So, yeah, it's a great scene. It, I mean, it's a great scene, but Eli takes it to another level. You know, he's pretending to excise the demons from him. He slaps Daniel around, has Daniel on his knees. Uh, you know, of course, because of Daniel's shame, you know, he has his head bowed and, you know, he's whispering kind of under his breath what he's done. Yes, I've abandoned my boy. Could you say it louder? I've abandoned my boy. <laughs> louder so the people in the back can hear I've abandoned my boy I've abandoned my child but it's a beautiful scene because Daniel Day-Lewis like I said when he's acting he just goes balls to the wall and he's yelling and the tear just comes down and it's just like that's his most emotion is he's going to allow this character to have in this movie but the thing is while Eli is slapping him around and the audience is roaring with excitement and uh, frenzy frenzy they're frenzy they're they're happy to Religious see fervor they're happy to see this man you know basically drink the kool-aid i wouldn't say drink the kool-aid but basically sit up there and you know uh say that you know he has sinned giving exposing it to the audience saying i'm one of you you know making him more quote-unquote relatable to that particular audience in that particular setting but while that's all going on Daniel is muttering under his breath. <laughs> Some I, I I don't have the dialogue. I here. have the dialogue. He's he's just pretty much in, just making a mockery of the whole thing. Like yeah. he's not taking it serious. He's like, oh yes, I do. Yes. Uh, do you reject? Do you reject Satan? Yes, I do. Uh, would you like the blood of Christ? I uh, yes, I will. <laughs> give it to me. <laughs> give me the blood, Eli. Give, give me, me the blood. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, there's another one. <laughs> yeah, he's getting slapped it, and just you. I would say just watch that scene, but you really have to watch what all led up to that just to see that Daniel is basically mocking Eli and he understands what this is. It's the power play. Exactly. But he's all like in the back of his mind, he's like, I'm going to get you back. It's the long game. Yes. He's like, it's not going to be today. It's not going to be tomorrow. And you find out that it's not until what years later when his son like is a an adult <laughs> later right his son's an adult uh but no he, he at the end of that scene he whispers something in Eli's ear 
Never tell. They never tell you. I, I pretty much think he just tells Eli, "I'm gonna kill you." Right, because the look on Eli's face, he He's looks like, oh, really sh- disturbed. I fucked up. Yeah, yeah, and they never tell you what he was whispered in his ear, but it, was, it has to be something along the line. Like, I'm gonna kill you someday. I like, would actually. He like- threatened somebody in this movie. He says, "I'm gonna come to your home when you sleep, or uh, where you sleep, and I'm gonna slit your throat." <laughs> I was just like, "Wow!" I could see Daniel saying that to Eli. Like one of these, I'm gonna bludgeon your head in with with a bowling pin. You know what? I would love to actually interview uh, the director and Daniel Day, as well as Paul Dano. Say, what was said in? Your ear. I mean, what was the line, basically? Uh, Daniel was probably like, well, Daniel Day-Lewis whispered, if you ever hit me that hard, I'll fuck you up outside. <laughs> no, because he's actually getting slapped. Yeah, yeah. He's a, he's a method actor. Of right. course, he's probably like, hit me. He probably had a... The Joker. <laughs> hit me. He probably had a conversation with Dano prior to that. He's like, I really want you to hit me. Like I'm an oil man, Dan. No, you got to know he's in Daniel um, Plainview. <laughs> he probably made hit Paul Dan- Dano mad before the scene. Oh yeah, if, it, if, it, if he was doing his method acting, he he does because I remember uh, Liam Neeson telling a story about him when they were working on Gangs in New York. Never broke character. He like he said they were in the gym and he'd come in. He'd be like priest, <laughs> and he was just like he would say things that were like insulting the Irish people. And he was Irish himself, right. so it was like you're just that deep in character, right? Uh, so basically, after this time, there is another time jump. Um, I don't know. Wait, before we get to that, uh, he's reunited with H. Yeah, I'm about to say he, he. Before we get to that, he brings his son back out of guilt because he, he, of course, kills this imposter, so he's alone again, and he kind of has this uh, regret because he kind of sees like H.W. was his right-hand man. He was the only family in, for all intents and purposes he had. So he goes back and gets H.W. H.W. is like, fuck you, bro. Like, I want zero parts of you. And he's trying to make things better, try to make things go back to normal. H.W. has, you know, some skills at this point with communication. He's just openly not conversing with Daniel. And Daniel's just steadily losing his mind. Like, he's become erratic. He's talking to business people like you wouldn't. You know, we've talked about that facade he's spent so long cultivating and building. And he's gotten to the point where at the at the blink of an eye, he's threatening to kill somebody during a business deal. Yeah, he actually bought H.W. to a lunch, knowing that his business rival would be there, who his business rival has talked about him behind his back, saying, oh, he left his kid or something like that. take care of your son. You'll have time to take care of your son or something like that. And he don't like that. Don't fucking tell him about his son. Yeah, he doesn't want you to tell him how to raise his family. I think that was one of the gist of the art, one of the points of the argument but it was a really good scene it's a very tense scene because they're basically out in public it, it really made me think like what if somebody just threatened my life with dead ass face threatened my life and i kind of believed <laughs> well just imagine you're at an applebee's or something <laughs> outback like that. steakhouse yeah outback steakhouse and you're having lunch with your kid and then uh, <laughs> you know the guy over there that you have you know a little bit of <laughs> animosity, animosity toward you know is there and then you're, you're you start talking under your breath and then you get louder and then you just walk over to him. do you know what you look like I mean, you look like a fool 
Yeah, because the whole scene, and, and plus another important aspect is Daniel does not respect this man. This guy's just one of those suit-wearing executives. Daniel's like a, a grassroots, I was in the earth drilling. Like, I've been getting my hands dirty, and you just want to come in and, and buy it after the work's done? No, I don't respect you as a man. So the fact this guy was trying to tell him how to... How to raise his family he was just like nah i'm not having it but yeah like we were saying he was on that slippery slippery slope of sanity and was just kind of erratic and was just like i don't know how to handle the situation anymore (laughs) like i'm just gonna yell i'm just gonna tell this guy he's a fool And it was just like a child like almost a childlike thing like hey you are a fool but yeah that's a great scene too but yeah now that we get to the actual the time jump again his son is an adult i think it's 1927 by this time uh hw has married uh mary sunday so he's like 26 now yeah so he's married the, the little girl yeah, the younger sister of paul and um eli, eli. um and so he's into that family as well, now ingratiated into that family but this um what comes after this is that young HW now wants to be the man. His own man. His own man. He wants to be his own man, and this infuriates Daniel. I mean, infuriates him to the point where he disowns him and calls him that wonderful line. <laughs> he calls him a bastard in a basket, and he just break breaks it down. I found you. As an orphan, you're not even my child. Yeah, I can't doesn't even he, doesn't yeah. even look him in the eye. He's like, you were just a bastard in a basket. That's all you are to me. And, and, it's, and the coldness of the scene is I'm t- no, but okay. So in this scene, he looks him dead in the eye, I believe, and he just calls him. You know, you you, you were. I found you. You basically telling him that you know you were do an the orphan. voice. I can't do the voice. I found you. You were abandoned. Yeah. I mean, he didn't tell him like your your father worked for me. He died in an accident. He makes it seem like he was just some unwanted little yeah, kid. This, this, I, I left mean, on a doorstep. It, it, it really is a cold scene, especially for the fact that you think that Daniel would at least have some respect for what all this child has been through. You know. Going across the United States, uh, the West, helping him with his business, suffering a work-related injury, which permanently... <laughs> a work-related injury work, <laughs> Right. Uh, you know, gaining a personal disability. But, you know, it's a really good scene. Very heartbreaking scene. And then I can't remember what he says to him when he... Le- oh, oh, he says he's glad. That he's not a son. Yeah, he says he's not glad, but then what, he even mocks him for using sign language. Being deaf, yeah. Yeah, he, he mocks him for being deaf. And he said, don't go flapping your hands around or something like that. Did he have an interpreter with yeah, him? Yeah, just wop, 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 all like your little dog. Yes, and he said, no, you talk. You talk to me. And so he talks to him, you know, of course, because he can't hear, you know, his communication skills have been uh, severely um, hindered mm-hmm. or whatnot. So, you know, his his vocal ability at this time, you know, sounds like a deaf person. And it's just really heartbreaking to see him mock him. It's basically kind of like the scene where he tells Daniel to get on his knees. He's basically trying to humiliate his child, H.W. Um, and so 
basically after this, this is really where the movie really just culminates uh, to the point where Eli comes back. Uh, it's, Eli has made some very poor investments because <laughs> it's the time for you know the Great Depression. Right. He comes back and he asks Daniel for some additional funds and Daniel basically basically does what he did. So at this point, Daniel basically comes and humiliates Eli. Mm-hmm. I mean, as Eli did to Daniel in the church. I mean, this is this is really um, a good scene. This is the milkshake scene. If I have a straw, you have a straw, and my straw reaches across the room, and I drain. Drain. Yeah, yeah I, 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 it, it, It's just like. Okay, so normally, I, I just want to say this. Normally, John Michael and I, we, we recite lines verbatim. Yeah, Eric's too good to recite lines with me today. No, I'm not too too good for it. But what I'm saying is, this is a movie where you don't want to misquote. Huh? I, I would say this is a movie where you don't want to misquote or kind of go too far off the beaten path. Yeah. Because the dialogue is so good and the scenes are so important. That's why I do wish that we had the ability to like actually play the scene yeah one day when we have a producer or an intern <laughs> they'll be able to do that for us no but it's a, it's a really good scene so he basically makes eli grovel well before this eli <laughs> eli comes in full vibrato like eli does he's just trying to make it seem you know stun it out got a diamond cross on he and has stuff. a cross on he's in his preacher garb yeah and he's just like i'm doing great and it's it just it's funny because it's like that that speech kind of reminds me of certain people i talk to in my everyday life where it's like they'll come in looking great and then they'll tell you about all this great stuff they have going on and then they'll follow it up now can i get some money and it's just like hold on what about all this other stuff you just said you got going on and it's just like well that is that you know it's still got to wait for some stuff to come through but eli comes in there he gives him his hustler spiel because he's a con man let's not forget that right. and daniel just sees through it immediately like he doesn't say he says very little he lets him talk he doesn't even get it take a drink eli pours and offers him uh he's just you know pretty much just sleep you know pretty much coming back to consciousness he was in a, a drunk on the floor you know right. eli found him that's another thing I love that they put in was just the way he would be passed out on a floor, no pillow, you know, right next to a bed. But right. he's just so used to sleeping on the ground. That's just the way he has to sleep. Uh, yeah, Eli comes in there, you know, and Daniel does not miss a beat. Like, this is the ultimate power play. Like, you're going to humiliate yourself. <laughs> you're going to tell me God is fake and that you are a false prophet. You're a false prophet. And it is he delivers this whole whole uh, monologue, eating a piece of chicken, I believe it is, or a leg, a turkey leg, or something. Right. Not making eye contact with Eli, just very calmly, like you're going to tell me your lie. Your life is based off of nothing, and I'm going to give you this meager amount of money. No, it was it was the five the five thousand he wanted plus five thousand in interest, and then whatever twenty thousand dollars for the bandy track. Yeah, and he's just like, all right, absolutely, Eli, that's fair, you know, but but you have to do something for me and it pretty much just has him admit he's a con artist and a liar and like like he did with daniel he's going to remove that mask except for he didn't have him do it in front of everybody so it's probably a little bit easier for eli and you know it was just for daniel's amusement because daniel likes to play god but no but daniel pretended that there was artists he's like for the people in the yes. back. <laughs> no, 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 louder, Eli, for everyone in the back. Right. So there's this imaginary audience for... This all takes man. place in a bowling alley in his mansion. Right, right. <laughs> so 
So basically, after Eli's done, Daniel. Very calmly. I said Daniel. Daniel Plain Blob. <laughs> but basically, after Eli gives this com- confession or whatever, Daniel just looks at him and says, you know. Uh, the he doesn't, Dan- doesn't look at him. He just yeah. said, oh, yeah. There's no oil. There's no oil. He's, he's like, it's completely dry. No, no, that no. land has been completely had. No, no, no. This is the bandy track. Do you, do you understand, Daniel? The bandy track. And he's like, no, no. Uh, I, I, it's gone. Uh, and then he explains drainage to him, which I didn't know before this movie. But evidently, if you have oil in an in a, in a oil surplus, your oil can be drained with the other oils in adjacent lands. Right. And he, he pretty much like Eric explains, like if you have a milkshake and I have a milkshake, but my straw is longer, it's, uh, it drinks your milkshake from his location. So he doesn't need to drill on your land. He's already drilled under it and taken the oil from his drill. Like he doesn't need you. And you just pretty much see the desperation in Eli. Like you see his real character, the sniveling little punk bitch Eli emerge. Like he's just like a little rat, just like a little vermin. Yeah. And what really ensues next really is interesting because it basically, when you see that meme and set from Anchorman that says, uh, well that escalated. quickly." <laughs> This really does escalate quickly. So, at this time, Daniel was angry, and he's throwing bowling balls <laughs> at, at poor Eli. And Eli is slipping and falling down the lane of the bowling alley because, of course, there's very poor traction. And he's like, Daniel, stop, stop, stop. I'm your friend. And that's what really interested me, interested me is he said... I'm your friend, Daniel. Daniel doesn't have any friends. He doesn't have any family. He doesn't have friends, family. Oh, yeah, and you tried to point that out, too. It's like, we're mar- we're family by marriage, Daniel. But, yeah, you're right. He doesn't, and I think that, uh, now that now that we're actually talking about this, I think that might be what he whispered in his ear. If I ever see you again, I will kill you. And Eli willingly walks into his house to try to gamble on getting this money. And Daniel, after he gets through, he's just like, remember what I told you? Basically. And so... He makes good on his promise. And kills him. Beats him in the head with a bowling pin. One of the 19th century, 20th century bowling pins. These big, heavy bowling pins. Like the fucking thing he used to juggle with. But uh, yeah, and and it has a very interesting last line of the movie when the butler comes down to see what all the ruckus is. It's like, Mr. Daniel. Mr. Daniel. Yeah, and uh, Daniel Day-Lewis is standing over the dead body with with the pin in his hand. And he just says, I'm finished. And the movie ends? Yeah, and then the movie ends. Like, it's just so, like, there's no resolution besides this man went through this journey, and that was the culmination. Like, that was probably the highlight of his life, killing Eli. Yeah. I don't know. You think Eli represented everything he hated in humanity? No. Because he kills two people in this movie. A a few people die, actually, and it's never made me fear hanging objects as much as anything. This movie is just like... Stuff snaps and falls on people like three times in this movie. Mm-hmm. Two people die. Daniel breaks his leg. And I've, every time I see something hanging from a cord, I'm just like, nope. <laughs> nope. Not going to be me. No, I don't, I, but no, I don't think that, you know, he, Eli represents everything that he hates in humanity. I mean, because Eli is an opportunist. Uh, opportunist, um, but Daniel's an opportunist as well. It's just that I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I think that the shroud 
I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It's so complex. I would say that he probably doesn't like Eli just because of he's such an overt con man. <laughs> you know, you, there's no subtlety to it. Well, I look at it as they're polar opposites. Daniel wants to get money so he can get away from people. And Eli wants to get money so he can bring in more people. Okay. And I think to Daniel, that probably is disgusting. The fact that you actually want to have more people around you as opposed to using your resources to clear them out. I mean, that's possible as well. I mean, it's just that, I I don't know, the the movie is so deep and complex. You know, we're finding more layers as we go on. I mean, this movie was 2007, I believe. Was it 2007? Yeah, 2007. Yeah, so, so over I mean, a decade ago. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about this movie 14 years later. Yeah, and, and still realize, like, I realized that for the first time, like, he probably told that motherfucker, if I ever see you again, I'm going to kill you. I'm pretty sure that was the case. And then he walked into the lion's den. Out of, and that's so crazy, because, like, people do stuff. Like, they know I don't need to be doing this, but I'm so desperate. And Eli was super desperate because he's a fucking con man who's at the end of his rope. But yeah, I mean, one to ten, where do you think this movie is on a rating? Probably at 9.5. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. Uh, 9 to 9.5. Just because it is kind of, I can see how some people might not get the full package of this movie just initially watching it. But for those people who really enjoy cinema and writing and direction and acting, oh my god, if you like acting and just watching certain scenes with good actors, you don't you feel uncomfortable watching, but Daniel Day-Lewis and Paul Dano definitely pull it out the pull it out the bag. Uh yeah, only other character I can think of in this movie is uh what's his name? I always forget his real name, but he's he played uh what's his name? The King Bond Beyond the Wall. In Game of Thrones. Okay, I know. Mance Raider. Mance Raider. Yeah, he played yeah. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis's right-hand man. But, uh, yeah, besides that, I really can't name too many characters in this movie. It's a very, very small cast. Now, this could almost be like a, a play. His name is Syrian Hines. Yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. Uh, yeah, it's just one of those faces that always pop out that you're like, oh, yeah, there he is. Uh, but, yeah, this movie is one of my favorites. It is just one of one of the best displays of acting. And that's how I knew I could probably never be an actor is because these people like people like him, Gary Oldman, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Joaquin Phoenix, like these guys are masters. Tom Hardy. Oh, my God. These guys are masters of the craft. Uh, Denzel Washington, uh, just being able to play a character and transform who you are. That's what the essence of acting is. And Christian Bale as well. Christian Bale. Yeah, good pick. Uh, Christian Bale is another individual uh, we can, when he can keep his emotions in check. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, all these... Uh, all these actors, and then it's a lot. A lot of them are British, and I'm surprised white people haven't complained about them coming over here still in our jobs. But they do a tremendous job, and I love. Uh, I, I don't know if Daniel Day Lewis is probably going to have any more epic roles in him like that. Uh, he said he's done. Yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't, because he just put so much into his roles. Because like with the Phantom Thread, he learned how to make shoes, Italian shoes, for a year and a half, and that's what he does now. Oh, he's he's still making he's a shoes? cobbler. Oh, hmm. In his retirement from acting, he's a cobbler. Interesting. That's, that's, yeah. I mean, it's better than drilling for oil on your off time. What was the movie that he was a boxer? I forgot. Uh. I can't remember, but it, I'm, I mean. Yeah, it's like two Daniel, or, yeah, it's two Daniel Day Lewis movies I can never think of the name of. One when he played the Irish prisoner. 
It's going to take me a minute to get to his filmography. Let's start with one of the movies. Okay, we'll start with My Left Foot. Everything before that doesn't really matter because nobody knew him before then. That was really where he started it. I think he started his method acting because he played a man with cerebral palsy and only used his left foot. Mm-hmm. Um, the Last of the Mohicans was the first, my first introduction to Daniel Day-Lewis. I saw that film in school. Yeah, me too. The Age of Innocence. Oh, Age of Innocence. I have seen that movie. He plays like uh, that. Uh, his portrayal of that movie uh, actually made like stereotypical English. Like that's who people imitated when they thought of British people for the longest. Like, oh, two chip chip pity. Oh, I'm going to have a spot of tea there. The Age of Innocence in the name of the father. The Crucible. In the name of the father. That's the one who was the Irish prison. prison. Okay. Crucible. He plays the... That was my second Daniel Day movie. Uh, uh, Witch House. The Boxer. Okay, that makes sense. It's uh, called The Boxer? Yes, it's just simply Very called original. The Boxer. Uh, Gangs of New York, where he played Bill the Butcher Cutting, which is one of our favorite films, aside from one role, <laughs> one, one unnamed actor <laughs> in that movie that ruins the film. The Ballad of Jack and Rose. I've never heard of that. I don't think I have either. There Will Be Blood, Nine, Lincoln, and The Phantom Thread. Okay. So that is an illustrious career for Daniel Day. He's won three Oscars for There Will Be Blood, Lincoln, and I believe My Left Foot. So he is actually the most accomplished Actor, not actress, actor uh, in Oscar history with three awards. Yeah. Excellent, excellent act, Gangs of New York. Who did he lose to? That's what I want to know. Who did he lose to in Gangs of New York? Okay, Academy Awards. Yep, My Left Foot, There Will Be Bud, and Lincoln. Uh, He lost Gangs of New York to Adrian Brody, the pianist. Okay. Well, I, yeah. I've never seen the pianist. Thievery. Oh, I've seen the thievery. It's, it's it's a good movie. He didn't beat Daniel Day Lewis for Gangs in New York, though. Yeah, that was that was the time when Adrian Adrian Brody was like the man, the up and up and comer, uh, young actor. But of course, his kind of dwindled his, off. Yeah, the only role I know him for is his Luca and Peaky, Peaky Blinders, Blinders which yeah. I think he did an excellent job, but anything to be Daniel Day, that's... Pianists, you know how they love the World War II movies. Yeah, but, Oscars. but pianists wouldn't win today. Roman no. Polanski. Oh, yeah. It, it would not win. It I wouldn't can't... even be presented. No, I cannot believe... Yeah, that was... Yeah, I remember that being an uproar. Like, people are like, really? You guys are going to nominate the rapist? Well, but anyway... Uh, we really enjoyed this film. Uh, there Will Be Blood, excellent film, highly recommended. If you have the opportunity to watch it on any of your digital platforms, I would highly suggest you do so because it is a movie that is very well written, very well shot, very well acted. And take some notes on it. Watch it multiple times. Mm-hmm. This is a film that requires not just one or two viewings, but multiple multiple viewings uh john michael and i are talking about this film 14 years later um i think i just recently watched it about two months ago maybe three months ago something like that but we're always talking about it we have a lot of reference humor from the film even though the film is not funny whatsoever we find 
a way to make it funny. I'll take it back. There's one funny scene, and that's when he kills the guy, and he's talking to Bandy, drunk, hungover, with a, with, a, with a shallow grave right next to him, trying to act like everything's natural. And Bandy's like, I saw what you did. And he's like, I'd like to, I like to make an offer on your land, sir. It's <laughs> just like right next to a, a dead body. Basically, yeah, yeah. I, and I, I think the director really probably wanted to play with that scene quite a bit. But, you know, we find humor in the church scene. Yeah. So, yeah, but highly recommend this film. If you have time, it's about a little over two hours. It's on long. Netflix. It's on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. For now. Yeah, you never know these days, but yeah, it's it's been on Netflix for a while. Check it out; it's a very good movie. If you like movies, you'll love this because it it checks all the boxes. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today. Uh, once again, check the film out. Uh, continue to support us if you like what we're doing here. Subscribe, follow us, uh, leave a comment on the Facebook page. We really like to interact with you all and see what you all are thinking. Uh, let us know what you want to hear, what you want us to. Uh, talk about we really like to get some great feedback from the audience uh anything you have to say in closing john michael no no i appreciate you guys you guys are awesome i appreciate all the love and support we have been getting and yeah like eric said please give us suggestions on something you might want to hear about you know this all can't be me and eric talking about our favorite things in the world we'll talk about stuff we hate if enough of you guys ask for it so you know we hate medea so if you guys want to see it we'll we'll do it we'll do it i don't yeah, that's all I got. Thank you guys. As you guys know, anybody who's been keeping up with me, I've had a lot going on in my life here. I've been writing part time. I have been uh, on the advisory board for the Kansas City Star. We just had our first meeting. I was elected to the board of directors for a wonderful non for profit called the Village KC. And I just got a lot going on here. So if anything comes up to where you guys may not see an episode that you love to see every week. I'm sorry. I'm trying to get everything out and coordinate with everybody so we can get as much consistency going in regards to our weekly uh, episode releases. But I am super busy. So I'm going to continue to try to do my best out here to get everything done. But I just want to touch base with you guys, let you know that for some reason you don't have a media review Monday or a midweek interview or relationship talk Friday. I apologize because I'm out here doing six other jobs. Eric is out here saving the world from orphans. Uh, and Ree's out here making lingerie for everybody. So we're all doing incredible things. So please bear with us as we continue to work hard. You know, if I can quit my day job, I can definitely do enough episodes every week. But until I can do that, you guys can support our Patreon page. Also, Urban Alchemy Podcast backslash Patreon. Uh, but yeah, that's all I have. Eric... That's all I have as well, but thank you so much, you all, for listening and supporting us once again. I am Eric Hawthorne. And I am Jan Banks. And thank you for... But yeah, uh, you have been listening to Urban Alchemy <laughs> Podcast. <laughs> thank you again for listening and supporting us. Uh, once again, I am Eric Hawthorne. I'm Jan Banks. This is Urban Alchemy Podcast. Join us next time. Right, we will catch you all later. You stay... <laughs> <laughs> okay. We will catch you all later. You all stay safe and stay blessed. Peace.